It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Las Vegas has long been recognized as the gaming and entertainment capital of the world. In recent years, other market segments were added to the mix, including conventions, dining, and retail. Now with the Vegas Golden Knights and the Las Vegas Raiders, the city has added sports to its revenue stream in a big way. My guest has seen the explosion in sports and has been reporting on it for decades. He's veteran journalist Ron Futrell, 8 News Now sports anchor reporter, who's been covering both college and professional sports in Las Vegas and has reported on the growth and challenges for both those sports. You can follow Ron on Twitter at Ron Futrell. And Ron, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. I always like to get you on at least once a year. It's always fun. And... Of course, I have to ask you, do you ever get bored with sports and why not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you know the answer already. Of course I do. (laughs) No, I I really don't. I I grew up a sports fan as a kid growing up in Southern California. So it was, you know, to me, it was Dodgers, Lakers, Rams, Kings, Angels, you know, go down the list of L.A. sports teams that I fell in love with as a kid. And so I've always had a love for sports. It's always been fun to me. And I've done news before, so I've covered house fires and hatchet murders. Those aren't near as fun as as going to a Raiders game or a Knights game these days or UNLV sports and that sort of stuff. So I will take that any day. And, yes, I have have covered the the stuff, the news. It's it's great that we've got people to cover that and that I don't want to say they enjoy it, but at least (laughs) that sort of stuff. Right. Um, But. I don't have the heart for that. I am. I love doing sports. Well, you, you know that I always tell you that you know you look like you're you're 20, and somehow you're you're <laughs> much much older than that. But I I, th- I think that sports keeps you young. Would you agree? I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I got here April of '84, so we're 37 years, 38 years into this now. Amazing. Um, pretty close. So is it being here in Vegas? covering sports and and knowing you back in the day i remember at the tropicana we did we did super bowl parties oh yeah back in the back in the 90s and the nfl came up and said no no we cannot have our players (laughs) and we'd have current players and coaches and stuff exactly do analysis and we'd have those big parties there i remember doing some of those with you there and and it, they were fun. They were a blast. And people would come to Vegas for the Super Bowl. And then they cut that off. The NFL said, no, no, no. You cannot have any connection to Vegas or gambling. We don't want that. So there was the 20 years of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> and then the NFL has finally woke up and gone, oh, Vegas is a real city. Oh, they can, they can do these things and not have... Uh, you know, illegal sports gambling, they could do they could do it legally. They okay. can, yeah, they can walk wow. and chew gum at the same time. Sure, why not? Amazing concept. I got to ask you, though, are you surprised at the amazing success so far of the Raiders and the fact that the stadium's built, people are going to it despite the COVID situation? Are you, are you surprised about it from your background as a journalist? Not, okay, a little bit. I mean, I knew they would succeed. I felt they would do well here. I felt the mix was great to bringing out-of-towners here to watch games into Vegas because that's what we do, along with the, and the Raiders have 
a fan base that is unlike any other that that is used to the team moving, by the way. Let's go Oakland, L.A., back to Oakland, out of here. So Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, they've got sort of a universal fan base that follows them around the world, really, and goes to their games. So wherever they're at, and I, I know the people of Oakland aren't happy about this, of course. They're still not. But wherever they're at, their fans will come. And road fans come here, and that's a large part of what our city does. So, yeah, it's... It, it does not surprise me that they're doing it – it surprised me they're 3-0, and that they're winning this year and that they're playing as well as they are. Same thing with the Vegas Golden Knights. It surprised me that they've had their first four years of such tremendous success for an expansion team. That surprised me, but not the fan support so much. I, I felt this city would, would be able to support uh, professional sports, and it's showing that they are, and the other leagues are taking a close look at Vegas as well. You mentioned the Vegas Golden Knights, and I was surprised how effective they've been over the last several years. How important is it now with Fleury gone for the team to reconstitute itself, if that's the word, or recapture its soul? Because so many people viewed him as the face of the team and really the soul of the team. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. And I've used the phrase, the heart of the team, that they've taken out the heart and soul. It means the same thing. It's right. an intangible part of sports that you can't really quantify, but you put that with Ryan Reeves and you look at when, when the Knights for the last two years, every time they went on the ice, the first two people out on the ice was Marc-Andre Fleury. If he was playing goal that day, it'd be Marc-Andre Fleury. And then right behind the goalie was Ryan Reeves. So those two guys were a large part of the heart or the soul of this team. Talented. Absolutely. They were that, but more important, they had that part, which is that intangible. I don't know who replaces them as the heart and the soul of the team, we'll see. They certainly have a lot of very talented players. Now they have room in the cap space to get more talented players. So that part's important, but still the team needs to have that intangible if they're going to win, especially in a sport that's as passionate as hockey is, that you need that on a team and a locker room and those sort of things. So who replaces them? I don't know who replaces them, you know, who has that personality and right now on this team, I don't, I don't know who that person is. And I, I got a pretty good feel for the players. You know, I, I know their personality. You can tell the fans do, by the way, they, they have, um, they're, they're pretty transparent with that. And I, I don't see a player replacing that. I mean, Mark Stone, he's the captain. He has that energy and you know, he would be the, the one that you think would, uh, obviously he's incredibly talented as well. So, but William Carlson's not that guy. You know, Riley Smith is not that guy, and go down the list of guys. But now we're five years into this, uh, and it's it's been remarkable what they have done, though. Regardless of of where they go from here, they've done some spectacular things. And do you think they retain again? This is a little esoteric, but do you think they still retain that connective tissue with Las Vegas, the team, because of how it was forged initially? I think so. If you're referring to the one October, the shooting and all right. of that, we just recently had the fifth anniversary and it's, you know, yes, yes. I think that sort of bonded the team with this community and because it was, they had not played a regular season game. I was on the strip that night. They had a, an exhibition game that night. The Knights did. And then after the game, the, sh the shooting happened on the south end of the strip, not far from T-Mobile Arena. 
And so then, then Derek England came out and gave that impassioned speech. And what was nice about that is Derek had lived in Vegas for a while because he played for the Las Vegas Wranglers and played at the Orleans. So Vegas was home to him. So he had that established, which, which many of the players and management and front office, you know, they had not. They were just finding their way here in Las Vegas, sort of, when all this blew up and happened. And I, I thought they had, I thought the team handled it very well, handled it. And I've even said that to management did it appropriately. And, and I remember when I said that to Kerry Buchholz, we're in an elevator one time. And I said, I just want to thank you as a guy who's lived in Vegas for almost four decades and you know, how well you guys handled it. And he says, well, that's, of course we had to do it. I mean, that, that way I said, no, you could have messed it up. You could have done too much or been too gaudy or been, I said, you were reverent in the way that you did it, and thank you. And they were, and I felt they handled it very well. And Reverend is, I think, a good way to describe the way that they treated that. And to be able to do that in such short time frame, too. Another, yes, good point, to yeah. do it right away. Because it was, there was not a whole lot of turnaround with that. How do we do this appropriately? How do we make this right? How do we bring this city back together in a way and it was an important, and I think it also speaks to the bigger issue of how sports can be a unifying presence within a community. And we hadn't really had that since, and you'll know this, since it's been 30 plus years since UNLV basketball won a national championship. And we hadn't really had that in our community, the thing that we could all have a common interest all at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely a unifier. And I'm hoping that they keep politics out of the sports in Las Vegas, because that is a, a way to bring people together. It, it shouldn't be a political situation. You should oh, just be able I, to go and I enjoy agree the sports. 100%. We talked about the intangibles, and you've got a connection with the Vegas Golden Knights, not you, but the town has a connection with the Vegas Golden Knights, and it clearly has a connection in a different way with the Las Vegas Raiders, including the larger fan base, because the Vegas Golden Knights are organic to Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Raiders are not, and yet they have such a massive fan base. As you mentioned, they moved around a little bit. And I think they took the ball with them each time they left the city. But <laughs> but do you see a connection between the two teams? In other words, they live in different universes and they get along, obviously, but it's two different fan bases, isn't it? It can be. It could be the same fan base, but it, it is. The, the NFL is the mountaintop. Let's go there, first of all. is as And I love hockey. I grew up in LA, but I still... Loved hockey, and probably told you before. I used to go to L.A. Sharks games in the uh, JFK Memorial Coliseum downtown L.A. on the USC campus. That's now blowed up and ain't around anymore. But I used to go. Yeah, I used to, the L.A. Sharks played for two years in the World Hockey Association, so I don't expect anybody to remember them. But I couldn't, <laughs> afford, I couldn't afford Kings tickets as a kid, but I could pay two bucks and go down on the boards and watch the L.A. Sharks play. I loved hockey, so as I say that. Um, the, NF the NFL is the mountaintop in, in terms of the reaction we get from viewers and the audience results and that sort of stuff from the NFL over the NHL is is phenomenal. But I love both sports. I love all sports. I, I want hey, I'm getting greedy. I, I'm getting greedy. I want baseball to come here. I want the Oakland A's to come here for all the reasons the Oakland Raiders came here. As Oakland is a dying city. California, my the land of my birth is in many ways a dying state, and, and they're killing it. And when I say killing it, I don't mean that in a good way. Like, yeah, they're killing it. They are killing California right now. And witness Oakland moving here with the, with the Raiders and the A's wanting to move here. 
And I think they're looking very seriously at this market for all for all those reasons. I think, yeah, I think it would be great. And I mentioned in the beginning about the fact that we have these new added revenue streams, which I think 20 years ago, nobody would have envisioned at all. Because again, going back to Las Vegas's history, it was gaming and entertainment, or as they like to say, gambling and entertainment. And eventually they discovered that conventions were profitable. And then the dining segment was profitable and the retail segment was profitable and special events. But now you've got a consistent sports presence here of major league sports teams. And could you envision that from a sports reporting perspective or if you were asked that question even 10 years ago? No, no. Because, and I used to say this all the time, and I've probably said it on your show before, is Las Vegas needed three things to be able to make, to have major league professional sports here, major league. And that is, Number one, had to have stadiums, which we didn't have at the time. Number two, the sports gambling issue had to be solved and settled. And number three, they had to prove that the fan base would support these teams. Well, all three of those questions have been answered now. Yes, indeed. They're, they're in the rearview mirror. But they, they weren't are. 10 years ago. They, right. weren't 10 years, they were all questions. What about women's sports? For example, the Las Vegas Aces. Number one, tell us about the team itself for people who may not know about the Las Vegas Aces. And oh, Go ahead. They're the best team in the league. They should win the championship this year. So they, they should. They're expected to, and they're rolling in the playoffs. So they're doing well this year, and they're a fun team. I mean, it's, it should be a precursor to the NBA coming here to Las Vegas. But now that Mark Davis owns the team, and he wants to step it up a notch in, in their facilities and that sort of stuff, which great, which should happen. But they're getting a lot of support, and it's fun to see during the playoffs, you see Raiders and Knights players at at the Aces games, and you smile and go, okay, that's what this is about. Yeah, why not? Why so, not? So the two big things to look for are baseball and basketball coming to Las Vegas. If you were to put your cap on, oh, you don't have to have a cap on. It's all right. I'll put a cap. Hold on. Is one one in the car here? Oh, excellent, yeah. excellent. Okay. I uh, see so you broke the fourth wall and told me you were in your car. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. There you go. As, <laughs> as opposed to being in my your studio. Yeah. There in you my, go. <laughs> Toyota, Toyota Four Runner Studio. <laughs> <laughs> so if you put that hat on that you now found in the back seat, do you see baseball and or basketball coming to Las Vegas within the next five years? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I do. I'm surprised the NBA isn't already here because they've got all those, all the questions that I had there are all answered. What would cause the delay, Ron? What, what would be the... I don't what? know. I don't know what the cause is with, uh, with the NBA because the, they got a stadium, okay? Major League Baseball doesn't have a ballpark. I love it. I went to the final game with the uh, Aviators playing the Dodgers on Monday night a few weeks ago, the final game that they played here at the ballpark. I love the ballpark up in Summerlin. It, yes, it's a great ballpark. For those who may not know, listening from out of Las Vegas, that ballpark in Summerlin in Las Vegas is wonderful. It just it reminds me of an old-fashioned but modern ballpark where you actually, it's down to scale and you can interact with people, and yet it's very modern. Yes, it is. Yes, very, very functional. And by the way, they draw about as many fans as the Oakland A's draw right now <laughs> do the, uh, the minor league affiliate, the Aviators, of the Oakland A's draw about as many fans and their AAA baseball, not Major League Baseball, which is, again, one of the reasons, another one of the reasons the A's are looking here to Las Vegas. But 
for, for Major League Baseball to come here, obviously they need a, a bigger, better stadium, and they're looking at some. They're looking at a bunch of different locations on the Strip. They're not going to announce anything until after the World Series is done. So, so that that hang tight on that one. I think so. During the off season, at some point, we're going to find out a, a lot more about the Oakland Athletics and a possible move to Vegas. NBA, I don't know what the NBA is waiting for. They've got a handful of teams that, that aren't doing real well right now that all could look to move to another city. And I think the leagues want to be part of Las Vegas as much as we would like to have them here. I agree with you because Las Vegas adds all kinds of excitement to the game. They've seen, they've seen the difference. See, okay, uh, let's go to the Monday Night Football game from Vegas. The exciting game against the Baltimore Ravens when the Raiders won in overtime. And then the, you know, and this, the excitement of that and what a great game. TV ratings on that have, haven't been higher for 10 years in the NFL than what were on that, than what they were on that Monday night. Was because of the game, and you can <laughs> you add Vegas to any equation, and it, outside of the city, and it spices it up. I mean, we know that because we live here, but it just spices it up. Okay. Also, too, because both the arena and the stadium are new. Yes, that helps too, and it's yeah, it's it's a, where they can show it off, and people can look at it and go, "Wait a minute!" People in Chicago are watching that and saying, "Later this year, the Bears play the Raiders in Las Vegas." Huh. Might want to might want to book flights, and you know the casinos with their junkets. They love putting people on the planes, and the MGM is going to do that uh, better than anybody else because they've got all those casinos right around the stadium, within walking distance of the stadium. So their their plan is to take full advantage of that and what the taxpayers gave them at seven hundred and fifty million dollars <laughs> taxpayer revenue. Well, yeah, they're going to have to have to address. For example, I know for a fact, Ron Futrell, even though I made it up, that you actually rent out space in front of your house to people that want to go to the game at the oh, yeah. at the stadium. It's a long walk, it's a long walk from Summerlin. <laughs> welcome to park there. It's fifty dollars. They can park in front of my house, but it's about a ten mile. Maybe maybe twelve mile walk to the stadium, but good luck. <laughs> you better start now for the game next week. <laughs> because we have such a, a hodgepodge way of setting up the parking. Will that ever get resolved? Oh, I don't. I don't know. No, it won't be fully resolved. I don't think unless okay, the Billy Walters land at Valley High. If they can get a hold of that at some point, Billy wants to relinquish that. That would be a great place for a large parking structure that you could then put a shuttle back and forth in the stadium. That'd be nice. Right now, what I find happening is a lot of the industrial space on the west of the stadium is being used for parking. And you see them out there game day as people holding up signs, $50, you know, $35 parked here, and they let them come park in those spots on a Sunday when that industrial space is not being used. And so that's, that's what it is. Sort of a Wrigley Field answer, I guess you could say. I mean, Wrigley Field was built in the 20s or 30s and it was they they didn't build parking because they didn't need parking back then <laughs> for that stadium so it became people's lawns and the driveways and front yards and stuff is where people parked to go to games at Wrigley Field and and over now you know 80 90 years they've gotten that figured out it won't take us that long but <laughs> i hope not it's a shiny new it's a shiny new object meaning the stadium for the world and we should be able to provide parking for everybody, locals and visitors alike. Yeah, I wish we would have. I wish we would have. I wish that would have been one of the answers if the Raiders could have bought that property without being a little more covert about it 
and then also buy up some of the adjoining industrial space so that they could put parking there, restaurants and, and whatever. But it's 75 bucks to park in any of the uh, MGM properties close by. So that's what, you know, welcome, welcome to Vegas when on full scale pay for parking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the founding fathers of this city are rolling somewhere. Yeah. Great. Going e- either what? in their either in their graves or at the bottom of Lake Mead. One <laughs> of the two. What? They charge for parking. What? These people are going what? They charge to park a car now in Vegas. Uh, yeah. The uh, no, no, and I as I bitch, bitch complain about that. That is that is one of my big complaints about this city is what what they have done, and MGM started that. And everybody else pretty much followed now. But I go to strip properties much less frequently than I used to because of having to pay for parking. I know you can get a card. I know you can get a special thing or whatever. Okay. But I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not happy about that. Not interested in that. I used to just go hang out sometimes with friends and do things and love going to the foundation room at the top of the, of Mandalay Bay up there. And I thought it was a great place to just go to have some licorice chicken finger things those were great up there and, and go up no and i haven't been up there since they started charging for parking because i just don't want to pay i just not interested for those and, listening who don't understand this is a cultural thing for locals in las vegas we just don't want to pay for parking no we shouldn't <laughs> yes i agree listen you're not going to get an argument from me <laughs> two other questions one is okay unlv now can play in the stadium they have a new stadium to play in Will they win? Boy, not this year. They won't. I don't see. I don't see a win on their schedule this year. They play. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see a victory. Will they win in the stadium? No, they play some tough games there. So no, I, I think they go winless this season, and that's tough for Marcus Arroyo and the players and, and UNLV and all that sort of stuff. And it's even it, it gets more pronounced when they're in a nice new beautiful sixty-five thousand seat stadium and you get ten thousand people in there. And I might be stretching it to 10,000, you know, for some of the games later in the season. Hawaii will, will be a pretty good crowd, I think. They'll, they'll do well with that. But no, it could, it could, I don't want to say backfire because it's a great recruiting tool. We've all been told that. Now they have great facilities. So let's recruit. Let's get the guys. But it also, um, it, it could be, it could be a noose around the neck in the sense of, boy, this looks bad to have so, uh, such a, a big stadium and so few people in it. I used to say parking was going to be a problem for Rebel football. It might not be a parking. <laughs> 2,500 spots on site, sadly, might be enough. So what is the issue? You have this great training facility on campus, and then you have this new stadium that the Rebels can play in. What is the challenge here? You've got you've got the infrastructure in place. That's a good question. Ira, that is a good What is the challenge? The history of incompetence? hurts this program the mountain west is not a good conference but they can't even compete in this conference so you don't you're not ready to go to a bigger conference so it's just it's just no it's it's hard to turn that around in college football and also the rich are getting richer on a a higher level with the college college programs are getting stronger and southeast conferences and different conferences are realigning themselves and, and doing things and getting getting stronger. UNLV is just in it. It's it's sad. It really is. I mean, it just is. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, is it Marcus Arroyo? I don't know. He hasn't won a game yet. He lost every game. He went 0 for 6 his first year here, and I don't see him winning a game this year. 
Well, what's the psychological effect on a team, especially college age players versus professionals? What is the effect psychologically on college players? Devastating. When, no, it is yeah. devastating. It's it's what what motivates you to go out to practice every day? Okay, if you're one of the elite players and you may have a shot at the at the NFL and playing on Sundays from here, okay, yeah, yeah you, you then you want to work hard and get out there, or you start looking to transfer. Seriously. Is you look, if you're talented, you look to transfer and say, I'm, I want to play in a bowl game. I want to play with a, with a program that people are going to watch and that scouts are going to come to check out. Uh, Charles Williams, let's put him on that list. Uh, great running back. He'll play, he'll play on Sundays in the NFL and he's, he's playing him. You know, he's not going to win a game. His, his last 16 games are going to be losses hmm. probably at UNLV unless something strange happens. But bless him. I mean, he's working hard, trying hard, and, and goes out there. But it, it would be very difficult. It, it's not fun practicing football. It's, it's not fun. I did high school, okay? But it's not fun out there going two-a-days and, and practicing and hitting hard and then having to also go to school and take care of all that stuff and have, a, have some semblance of a social life and do all that. And football, if you're not winning, the football part drops off. It has to. And then that just snowballs. Last question before I let you go, because it, it overhangs all of this, and that is the effect of COVID on all of the sports in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's been much better this year, obviously, than last year. I mean, last year was a shutdown in March 2020, that I call it March 12, 2020, the day sports stood still when uh, Anthony Fauci made his pronouncement on the 10th or 11th, and then everybody shut down. And you can, uh, we can now look in retrospect and argue whether that was the right thing to do or not. I would, I would argue that it wasn't, but that's a different story for, <laughs> that's a, that's a long, long podcast for another day, Ira. Um, but what is the, the effect now? It is, I think it's becoming more of a, I'll say a hassle in the sense, and I don't want to downplay it and diminish it by saying that, but it's now become like, I'm here at the Raiders facility. I have to go get tested once a week. I've been vaccinated, but I still have to get tested once a week. And before you go to practice, okay, that's a precaution they need to take to make sure I'm safe before I go in the facility. And I will do that. And I will take care of that. But I wish I didn't have to. I wish the players didn't have to. I wish uh, we, the NBA is going to have a big debate this year, whether everybody has to be vaccinated or not. There's a hand, there's a bunch of players who don't want to get vaccinated in the NBA and they're, they're being forced to. And it's, uh, anyway, from a, a, from a little bit of a political point of view, I don't like that. I don't. I don't like the forcing that's happening right now. What about the What about the protocols that differ between Allegiant Stadium and T-Mobile Arena? In other words, oh. it's two different. Two. It's apples and oranges. Well, that no, it is apples and oranges. And I think when the Raiders did that and said we we have a vaccination, we want everybody in to be vaccinated. Okay, that's you know the noble cause, I guess you could say. It did make some people angry that bought season tickets that didn't want to get vaccinated and sold their season tickets and sold them. Okay, so there was that side of it, and that was a pretty large part that didn't like this. They, I think the Raiders felt that all the other teams would follow in the, in the NFL, and they didn't. Two other teams so far have followed with this mandate. I'm going to tell you the politics of what I think happened here, because Mark Davis, when he came out, he praised, he praised Sisolak for his great efforts here in the state of Nevada. And I and it was right after he had he had given that Sisolak had given that emergency directive, and I think he wanted the Raiders to do it, and so there was communication between the governor's office and the Raiders to go out there and be a trailblazer on this and do it, and of course the Raiders are beholden to 
the governor. He was on the county commission, the chair of the county commission at the time when they got the stadium built. So without without Sisolak, without Sandoval, the stadium would not have been built with taxpayer dollars. So so I think there was some politicking. No, there was some politicking going on there that that was be the Raiders didn't think this up on their own. Let me go there. <laughs> the Raiders didn't have an epiphany and go, oh, let's make everybody vaccinated. No, they were pushed by the governor's office to do it. And I think I think the governor's office felt that all the other facilities in Nevada would do it, which they haven't. No other facilities have really. Maybe the Smith Center has. I don't. I don't know. But you know, sports sports facilities haven't. You don't have to get show vaccination to go to a Knights game or to a Rebel game or to other games. Even other events in Allegiant Stadium aren't doing it. Guns N' Roses concert, you know, and the Stones coming up. You don't have to have vaccination status. So that's even split among events within the stadium. So I'm fairly positive the politics of that is that's the way that that played out. Are you optimistic about the future in terms of mitigating the COVID situation for attendance at various sporting events yeah, in Las Vegas? I always am. I mean, we got to, you know, I'm of the opinion that this virus is going to do what this virus is going to do. I mean, it's there's we have never we've never been able to stop a virus. Never. Um, can we slow it down? Can we do things? Yes. And we've talked about that already. And yes, there are protocols and things that you can do to be safe. You don't go out and be idiotic about it. But at the same time, I lean much more on the side of let's get out, live our lives and be safe as we can. We know who we're at risk. We know what the risk factors are. Um, Take those precautions. I would like Vegas to lean more in that direction. I think the Raiders We'll withdraw that protocol by next season. Great way to end it, actually, as a, on a positive note. Great way to leave it. My guest has been veteran journalist Ron Futrell, 8 News Now sports anchor reporter. He's been covering both college and professional sports in Las Vegas and has reported on the growth and challenges for both those sports. You can follow Ron on Twitter at Ron Futrell, and that's F-U-T-R-E-L-L. And Ron, thanks again for being on the show. Ira, it's always a pleasure um, being on, and hopefully I didn't gab too much. <laughs> you always gab, but I like it. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> See you Thanks next for time. having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.